medicine for a change. Because in their minds, if bad religion is Christianity, then you've got to be able to listen to them and to affirm what you can about what they've gone through so that you can separate yourself and hopefully Jesus from this bad religion. And so, what does Jesus do? So he doesn't just expose their spiritual blindness, but he actually judges their spiritual blindness. Okay, so he exposes it, and then he judges it. So first, I want you to see that Jesus actually withholds the truth from these people. They come ask him a question. Jesus answers them. They don't give an answer. Jesus doesn't actually give them the answer to their question. Verse 33, Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. To me, this is fascinating. Jesus is not willing to answer their question because they have demonstrated they're not willing to listen. Okay? This is an act of judgment. For Jesus to not give them truth is an act of judgment. And so the great teacher refuses to teach people who refuse to listen. So I want you to see what's going on here very, very clearly. You have a group of religious people who are living with blinders on. They're unwilling to listen and to be honest with the truth. They're already convinced they're right, and anyone who disagrees with them is wrong. And Jesus isn't with them. Jesus is not on their side. Jesus is distancing himself from them. Jesus is withholding truth. He's disengaging. Jesus continues to do that. Sometimes we can feel far from God because we're not willing to listen and to respond to the truth. Sometimes Jesus pulls back from us as an act of discipline to say, look, if you're not ready or willing to hear this, then you are actually driving me away and I'm not going to speak. But Jesus is not one of these people. Um, he is opposed to living with blinders on. He wants us to embrace the truth. And so it doesn't matter how religious you are, but if you're unwilling to hear Jesus and to deal honestly with him and what he says, then your religion is bad religion. And so Jesus goes farther and then actually pronounces judgment on them in a parable. Let's keep reading. Oops, that's my bike, sorry. Um, that was a picture of something I don't have time to talk about. Um, so Mark 12, he goes on, and he, Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. And here, so here goes this parable. It says, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. And then he leased it to tenants and went into another country. Right, so he buys a property, fixes it up, puts a wine press and a vineyard in it. He's obviously going to make wine. Leases it to tenants and left. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they, the tenants, took him, the servant, and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, hey, this is the heir. 
Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. In the image here, if this, if this sounds like stupid to you, um, I think what's going on here is the owner of the vineyard plants this thing, hires them, and then leaves. They never see him again. And so I think they presume when the sun is coming, they presume, oh, maybe the owner's dead, and this is now the new owner. If we take him out, there is no owner, and this place is ours. And so they kill him. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then, after he told this parable, they were seeking to arrest him, but again, they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them, and so they left him and went away. And so, this is one of those stories that the more you study it, the closer you get to it, the more infuriating it becomes, okay? It's kind of easy to read it and be like, oh, that really is an awful story, the tenants are so bad, but like, if you look into it, it's like, oh, this is like, oh, this is, it, it kills me, but we don't have time to like dive in more deeply, but just the gall of the tenants, right? The, the gall, the arrogance, the unbelievable, I mean, they were given this opportunity to work and to provide for themselves, and yet they took advantage of it all in turn and, and acted as though it belonged to them. So incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And Jesus is telling this parable, really telling to the crowds to help them understand what's going on here. He tells that he's telling the crowds, look, God knows what's happening here. God is the owner of the vineyard in the parable. The religious leaders are the tenants. Um, and Jesus is saying, I am the son of God who's coming. And the bad religion of the religious leaders is actually going to kill me. And so Jesus is telling the people what is going to happen. And so with this, I think we see sort of the next point. Uh-oh. All right, so if you're taking notes, we've got um, Jesus exposes their spiritual blindness. Jesus judges their spiritual blindness. What we see next is that Jesus, the judge, is blinded so that we might see. Okay? You would think that the owner of the vineyard would come and clean house, right? But instead, the owner sends his son. In this conversation, what we see here is that when Jesus confronts, Jesus also offers to bad religion a way out. What do I mean by that? Well, right now in this conversation, Jesus is sort of keeping himself unharmed um, from the blindness of bad religion. Jesus is separating himself, um, but soon, soon there's going to come a day when Jesus is not going to avoid the damage of their blindness. Now, that's what this parable is the power. In just a few days, Jesus is actually going to resign himself to fall under the power of their bad religion. He's going to fall under the power of their spiritual blindness, and he is going to be crushed. The rest of the story tells us that Jesus willingly succumbed to their blindness and let himself be captured 
And what's striking is that there's an episode in what happens next where Jesus himself is even blinded. This is four days later. Look at this. It's in Luke. Gosh, do we not have this? Oh, wait, there we go. Jesus is blinded so we might see. Here we go. So this is Luke 22, 63 and 64. This is during the torture and the arrest, after the arrest and the condemnation of Jesus. It says, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, hey, prophesy, who is it that struck you? So this group of people who are, they blindfold Jesus and they're punching him. And they're like, hey, come on, come on, predictor, come on, prophet, tell us. Which one of us did it? And what I see here is, I mean, this is a a stark identification that Jesus is making with people who are blind. I mean, not physically blind, but people who are spiritually blind. What we see here, and I know this is like one is literal, one is spiritual. I mean, I get that. But what we see here in this passage is that when Jesus confronts, When Jesus confronts, when Jesus even judges people and pronounces condemnation, Jesus is willing to suffer for what he is condemning. Jesus came so that those who were spiritually blind could see. Jesus came and offered himself. He was willingly... He, he willingly subjected himself to even being blindfolded, to becoming blind. He identified with the people who could not see in his suffering and ultimately in his death. I mean, he was not only blinded, but he was beaten and mocked and tortured and crucified. And he did this. This was the most incredible, the most radical act of self-giving love. He did this so that those of us who have been blinded in our own egocentrism, like those of us who have been so involved and enraptured with our own views of reality, would get woken up. Jesus endured this kind of torture so that we would realize who God is. So that we would recognize that God isn't just a God who comes and judges. And he could do that. I mean, that's what's remarkable about Jesus, is that he was God. He could come. He was right. Like, is it bad when you judge if you're right? And yet, for Jesus, for Jesus, even when he's right, he came. And after he pronounced judgment on these religious leaders, after he told the spiritually blind that they were going to be in huge trouble, he offered himself as a sacrifice to give them a way out. So that if they were willing to turn the direction of their life, if they were willing to wake up, if they were willing to see the fact that, oh my God, I have been blind. I've been so consumed with myself. I've been so unwilling and unable to take the perspective of somebody else. I've been so unwilling to see that I was wrong, to admit that I was wrong. I've been so unwilling to forgive. So that people like us could find hope 
the power of the cross is that it, it, it calls us up short. It stops us in our tracks and says, don't you realize that the God who is always right and perfectly right actually sacrificed himself. He identified with those who were wrong so that they might find forgiveness and freedom. Will Jesus judge those who remain in spiritual blindness? Yes. But Jesus does everything he possibly can to rescue them first. And aren't you grateful? Like, aren't you great? This is what Jesus is like. And so, from himself then to others, the last thing that we see here is that Jesus gives us the secret to anti-blindness. He gives us a secret to anti-blindness. And the secret is at the beginning of this whole text. It's the beginning of the passage about prayer in verses 25, or in verses 20 to 25. Because um, remember, Jesus had, dis- he had declared judgment on the temple. Right? He destroyed, he cleaned out the temple, he declared that it was wrong, he stopped it all in its tracks. Then what Jesus does is he invites his people to join him um, in this act of judgment. Okay, Look in your bulletin, because I don't have it on the slide. Um, in verse 22, there toward the top of that page, it says, And Jesus answered them. He's now talking to his disciples. He says this, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. How many of you have tried this? This is one of those things that uh, when you start a relationship with Jesus and you start reading passages like this in the Bible, you're like, really? Cool. And you look at a mountain, or you think, well, if you can do it for a mountain, you can do it for a car, right? And you go, okay, Jesus... I've done this. Have you not? Jesus, I believe you're all powerful. You made the world and everything in it. You can move this mountain, this car. You know, and after a while, it's like, my phone, Jesus, please, something. You know, Jesus, you can move it. I pray that you would move this mountain and cast it into the sea. And nothing happens. Right? Have you, have you done this? Am I the only one? Fine. Um, it doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. And you get discouraged. You're like, oh, man, well. And and honestly, sometimes people are like, well, see, you can't trust the Bible. I mean, and and there's some legitimacy in that, right? If this is what Jesus is saying and it doesn't work in my life, then how can I trust it? And some people think, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I don't really have a relationship with God. There are people who will say, you don't have real faith. And that's a whole other part of bad religion. Um, Like, ugh. but that's, this is not what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus is not giving us a timeless principle of how prayer works in this passage, okay? So let me explain to you so that it'll make sense. You'll be like, oh my goodness, really? I had no idea. Why did anybody tell me this? Well, I don't know why, but here it is. The mountain that Jesus is talking about, okay, when he says, whoever says to this mountain, he's not talking about just any mountain in general. He's talking about this mountain. Which mountain? It's actually the mountain on which the temple was standing. Okay? It's the mountain where the temple was. And what Jesus is saying here is that he's saying, 
the judgment that I just pronounced on the temple um, is going to come true. Metaphorically, this temple and this mountain are going to be cast down and made into nothing. And so what Jesus is saying here, he is actually inviting the disciples to join him in praying to God for the end of bad religion. That's what's going on. Jesus has just enacted the end of bad religion. He's just stopped the temple sacrificial system because he's declaring that it's been judged by God and it's going to be destroyed. And he's saying, now look, if you pray that this mountain will be destroyed, you can actually join me in prayer to see that this bad religion comes to an end so that the truth would win out, so that blinders would come off and people would live and follow me. If you do that, that answer will be prayed or will be answered. That prayer will be answered. I think I just said that answer will be prayed. That prayer will be answered. So that's the explanation of the passage. But here's the secret. The secret's in verse 25. Because he's teaching, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray for judgment. Right? He's teaching them to pray for judgment. And what he's saying, though, is that even if you, like, when you pray for judgment on other people, don't become bad religion yourselves. When you pray for the end of bad religion, don't become like what you are praying will end. Okay? Verse 25, he says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, forgive. Forgive. This is the secret to anti-blindness. It's probably the bottom line for us today. All of what we've said leads up to this. That it's forgiveness that makes the blind see. Forgiveness makes the blind see. If you are willing, even in the midst of praying for the judgment of bad religion and for the people who perpetrate it to be removed and, de and destroyed, you have to have a heart of forgiveness. Because when you forgive, when you are willing to forgive, when you're willing to understand, when you're willing to um, respect where people are coming from and you're willing to forgive them, at that point, you can truly see God. Because isn't that what Jesus did? When Jesus was on the cross, as they were crucifying him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's a prayer that you can pray about just about anybody. Just about anybody. When you forgive, you can truly see God and His forgiveness of you. And then you can also truly see others. When you are willing to forgive, you actually stop and ask, how do they see this? And you begin to see them as they see themselves. And so even if you're praying for the end of bad religion, forgive them because you know that you need to be forgiven too. That's what he says. If you have forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This keeps you humble. 
and humility takes the blinders off. This keeps you open-hearted to others, and this takes the blinders off. This makes you willing to listen and to understand, and that takes the blinders off. When we treat other people in this way, we give them the best chance to see the love and the forgiveness of God that we have found. We get to display the heart of our God who came and even in confronting gave his life because he loves us so much that he wants to give us a chance to be forgiven. It's these people, these people who have been forgiven and are willing to forgive, these are the people that actually end up in the place to properly confront others. This is the heart that you want to have when you go back to your spouse, when you go to your kids, when you go into a dating relationship or to a colleague at work. It's a heart of forgiveness that enables you to actually see them as they are and to bring real reconciliation. Let's fill San Diego with this kind of love. Pray with me. Jesus, you again amaze us. It's truly amazing that even as you declare the end of bad religion, you then go and die for it. Jesus, would you help us to see that you have done that for us? That in all of our brokenness, in all the ways that we have failed to live this way, but in all ways that we have sinned against you and sinned against other people, that even as you confront us, you died for us. Help us to see that you did this for us personally. So that we might receive your love and from the well of your love put into us, we could love others. And we pray this in your name. Amen.